Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff. I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who's our lead author. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter yesterday, and what we found was that demand continues to be extremely strong in this economy. I think that's the biggest headline is that people really on a fundamental level are not seeing any signs of recession, even though the stock market obviously is forecasting recession. Jamie Dimon was pretty sanguine in his his assessment of the economy as well, saying that that's kind of the the right now, but in the future, there's a lot of storm clouds that have gathered. And so this is consistent with what we've been saying and seeing for the last many weeks. It just hit me more, I think, this week that demand really is staying holding in strong. It's not clear that recession is really, really coming. So any thoughts, Eric? I agree with you on that. It hit me a bit harder than usual. And because like this, are banks definitely that are reporting in their signal. They have more granular data on how people are spending. My, the best quote I would pick would be Citigroup's Jen Fraser, who says, a little of the data I see tells me the U.S. is on the cusp of a recession. As of right now, looking at the data that we have, uh, if the Fed was to be data-driven, as they say, not, nothing much has gone wrong so far. But again, good news in this kind of economy is bad news in the sense that the Fed uses that as an excuse to, to raise rates further. So consumer demand is strong. No signs of credit stress. The labor markets are tight. And of course, like spending is still strong, but though it's slightly lower in May and June. Overall, the economy looks good. But again, you can't help but sense that underlying the tone that the banks are saying, at the same time, they're preparing a bit for, like they're preparing for war, even though they're saying there's no war currently. So like they're cutting back on buybacks. That's JP Morgan that was used to El Spargo who cut back on, they cut back on, on, on share buybacks so that they can show up on, on capital. They're just making sure they're covering all bases in terms of, okay, everything is okay right now, but as, uh, as Jimmy Diamond says, we all are dads in the room. If something is going to go wrong, we need to be prepared for that. So I think that's kind of the sense I get from the banks that I've reported so far. Do you, do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I mean, I think the financial services industry is definitely seeing, it would always usually be a leading indicator of recession. And so I think they're looking at the data that financial service participants usually look at. And we're seeing that the leading indicators, frequently, most frequently Fed policy, are pointing towards a recession. But when you look at it, real economy is still holding in. And then the other part of it is that inflationary forces are definitely coming back the other way. Commodity prices are down, supply chains are healing, inventories are too high in many places. And so you have price levels that are more likely to, to start to ease. I am extremely skeptical of the idea of a soft landing especially with how hawkish the Fed is being and the fact that we printed 9.1% year-over-year increase in CPI last week. But the forces seem to be aligning in a pretty healthy way, actually. So I, I, I'm very skeptical, but, but open to the possibility. I agree with you on that end. But also on the, from the banking side, not surprisingly, because, I mean, the first half of the year was terrible in terms of IPOs and all. So investment banking has been deleted the drag in terms of revenues for banks. Morgan Stanley had around 55% decline in revenues year over year. JP Morgan, they had around 61% decline in investment banking revenues. So I think no surprises because the markets have been uh, pretty frothy, like nothing is coming into the markets. And it's pretty hard to make an assessment right now on how things are going with banks. The mortgage business was very weak, especially for Wells Fargo. 
Anything else you may have picked for Bunks? Mm, yeah, I mean, I think one other thing that's really important at data point that, again, is a leading data point is that customer account balances, consumer account balances are starting to decline as real wages are negative here. So inflation rising faster than wage growth. And so you're seeing people who had so much padding from the COVID era stimulus, they're starting to eat into that padding. And so that has been a big driver of consumer spending as well. So the fact that those are coming down, that could be a negative leading indicator. But honestly, I mean, we've been, the story is the same story as it's been for many, many years, if not decades, the, the U.S. consumer is just powering through it. I think like the biggest thing that we're seeing is just the shift from goods to services, but where there's services, the demand is, is very, very strong for travel. The consumer spending. It's pretty strong. Overall, but maybe as a, a data point that I picked up, maybe a quote was the one from Google. Google CEO sent out a memo, which was leaked. And then they finally they issued it as an, as an 8K, which stated that they are also slowing down hiring for the rest of the year. I mean, I mean, I combined that a little bit with the fact that Google is also facing competition from TikTok and, uh, and Instagram as sources of search now. I think the younger generation now is, is actually doing their search on TikTok and Instagram. That was a bit surprising, an admission from Google themselves. So, but going back to the main point, the main point was that Google, BlackRock, they're turning down a bit of hiring just to make sure that they, they had the right people for the rest of the year or thoughts of that yourself? Yeah. I mean, I think this was part of the group of quotes that were the counterbalance to the strength in the economy as the primary story was that there are are signs of slowdown in some of those key areas. So not only as we talked about the deposit balances coming back down, but then employment strength, which has been such a, a huge source of, of underlying strength for the economy, as well as the labor shortages and pricing power for workers in terms of getting higher wages. There are signs as well that some companies are starting to, to hire less and invest less in future growth. And so again, these are kind of early recession indicators too. The fact that Google isn't hiring, the fact that BlackRock isn't hiring, those were two sectors that are have been most sensitive. We've been chronicling this. Financial services and technology have been the most sensitive to rising rates. So Google, I'm sure, is just reacting to the same sort of mentality that's going on in the rest of technology, Silicon Valley sort of capital circles by slowing down. But I think... On that front, one other really important thing that we should talk about is that slowdown in PC and smartphone demand and semiconductor demand, which we've picked up two weeks in a row now. So this is, this is now a very strong signal. What are your thoughts on this? I think, I, I mean, I've been reading a little bit on the semiconductor industry and now it's positive, especially to cyclicality. Uh, we're at a point where they have excess inventory, especially due to especially on the consumer side, those, those semiconductors are supposed to be in, in products that consumers are take up like PCs and smartphones. So if that demand is slowing down, then definitely it means that the, the, the TCMCs of the world are stuck with a lot more inventory than they need. So the key takeaway for me was it, it will take a couple of quarters to work through some of the, to get to a healthier level of balance in terms of demand and supply in the semiconductor industry in that, especially in the consumer section, but for me, what's, what also surprised me is that on the other hand, in the auto industry or in the other parts of the industry, demand still exceeds supply. So it feels like the different parts of the semiconductor industry that are having different levels of demand and supply gaps, or at least one has a 
One is oversupplied auto industry is still experiencing huge levels of demand for vehicles compared to what is in the market presently. What are your thoughts on that, especially also from a U.S. perspective? Have you been to an auto shop lately? I'm not in the market for, for a car, but it is a good note that on the semiconductor side, there still seems to be shortages on the automobile side, but not necessarily on now it's looking like a glut on the PC and smartphone side. I think it's worth, you know, pointing out specific areas, specific potential companies that are, could face the headwinds. So Apple is kind of the clearest one that comes to mind. The most exposed to PCs, smartphones, Samsung, Samsung also. Yeah. Intel also like a heavy PC exposure. Intel, I was looking at like six times earnings. Apple's like 25 times earnings. It'll be interesting to see how this filters through Apple's quarterly report next week, both the way that they talk about it, if they see it at all, and then where they fit in both at the premium side of the market. And then also with such a large growing services component to their revenue base, how much they're even feeling, you know, downturns in consumer devices. So. And maybe a, qu a quick one, I'll start with maybe one of the other things that you picked up that costs are elevated, but they're not worsening. So I think like that's something that we picked up, the commodity prices are going down slightly. That means they're still elevated, but they've gone down. So that may flow through to CPI in the coming months, I feel. So CPI may, may peak very soon because of that. I think that's one thing. Any comments on that? A quick one, maybe? Yeah, I think that it's clear that forces, inflationary forces are cresting here in terms of commodity prices. At the same time, inflationary forces were crazy at 9%. So even if they came down to an elevated level of like three or 4%, it's still a structurally different environment than we were dealing with three or four years ago when we thought that inflation was going to run below 2% forever, no matter what we did. So that's still the longer term inflation tail is something that's still an unknown here. And then the other thing that really surprised me about the CPI number last week is that it was 9% year over year. And that was already on top of like a five and a half percent print from last year. So it's not like it was coming off of a low base. This was an accelerating inflation data point, which was very surprising to me because I would expect just the, the comps to be getting easier, so to speak, for inflation. Because when you're at a higher level and you're starting to level off, obviously the rate of change starts to slow. So that was a really, really negative print to me. But I think it's also uh, pretty instructive to be watching the way the markets are reacting to both the high data print, the high CPI print, the hawkishness of the Fed kind of bullishly. Like the stock market's actually trading up here. So maybe the worst is priced in at this point. Yeah, could be also. So one thing that we've avoided speaking about in the past couple of weeks, but has finally made it through is the Twitter <laughs> and versus Elon issue, by the way. Where do you stand on that? I know we talked off, 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 off the podcast last week, but I think like, what are your thoughts on that so far? I read the entire Twitter filing, not the Musk retort, but from the Twitter filing, lawsuit filing, it does not look good for Elon Musk in from what they, what they showed in most of the legal analysis, I think I've seen. I don't know how you compel somebody to spend $40 billion on a company. That's still curious, but certainly the facts seem to be on Twitter's side more so than Musk's side from a legal standpoint, at least. What are your thoughts? I think I see, I see, I see the same thing. There's a clip going around the internet of a former judge in the uh, Delaware who was a senior judge who was saying that one of the things that the 
the, the, the courts may avoid doing is actually compelling someone to buy. And because that's also may not be enforceable in the sense that if they tell him buy, what else can they do? What is the recourse there? Take him to jail for not spending. So I think those kind of unenforceable decisions are something that they would avoid. So what's commonly may take place is that they, they, he may need to buy, but at a renegotiated lower price. So perhaps, as you said, do the same as you, as you suggested, flip it. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it, the magnitude is obviously extreme, but like if you had a lawsuit where somebody owes an amount to somebody else for damages, there are legal mechanisms to get that amount of money to to the party that was ruled in favor of. Maybe they put a $40 billion lien on Tesla stock and Twitter just becomes the largest shareholder of Tesla. You know, these are, I, it, it is hard to imagine happening, but also the, in this case, it's not like a standard merger agreement is the, one of my biggest takeaways from the legal analysis and the reading. There were very clear negotiated points to prevent this from happening in, in the agreement. And so if you have very clear negotiated points, it's hard for me to believe that you can just walk away from those. I think that these are good points to end this week's earnings. The earnings season is just getting started. So we're very, very keen on capturing all the key points that are happening. So keep subscribing to the, the transcript. Something else you can also check out. We did a small thread on Berkshire Hathaway, Vice Chairman, on some really wonderful thoughts that he shared last week. So check it out. We'll put it in the links. See you again next week.